0: Morning's passage comes to us from what you have come to know as the Great Commission, found in the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. There are many great short speeches in the world, but this one I think is the greatest. While the Gettysburg Address gives it some competition, nothing comes close ultimately to how powerful these words are by Jesus, his last words to his disciples as he leaves them. May God help us understand anew the meaning of this text. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There must be 50 sermons in this short text a preacher could use. The 11 disciples, Judas excluded, worshipped him, yet some doubted. Gives us all support in our own sometimes doubtful faith. All authority in heaven and on earth Ooh, gives us the jitters because We live in a world where authority has been abused and power misused, and so anyone who claims to have all authority in heaven and on earth, you better watch your back. Yet the authority that Jesus brings is not about vengeance and might and power, but about love and compassion and forgiveness The Great Commission, go therefore into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. The Trinity, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Always that theological conundrum that we all profess but don't really understand. And finally, the last, the promise. Remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What eternal and infinite comfort that brings. The banners from last Sunday are still with us. Like it was a big party, and it was. The jazz band, the The congregation singing, tapping your toes, it was Pentecost and the Spirit of God actually came into this place and caused us frozen, chosen Presbyterians to move a little bit and to have a little experiential emotion and I wasn't here, I missed it. Why is it that every time I hear we had a really good emotional worship service, I miss it? There seems to be a trend here. Now, a week later, the liturgical message has moved a little from that experiential, spiritual moment to what do we now do with it? The music has moved from jazz to something like John Williams' Star Wars theme The celebration is over, the Spirit has come, the force is with us, now we must follow the mission. Mostly we think that our understanding of God is an experience, and that is true. It is an experience, but it is more than just an experience. We are an experienced people, we seek experience That's what entertainment provides, one experience after another. And more and more in our age, I'm afraid, we become those who are seeking that experience, that moment of ecstasy or some wonder or awe or laughter or entertainment, that experience. But rather than experience, this text actually talks about commitment that thing that we know deep down that we all need, existentially yearn for, a more profound commitment to something in life besides just our next experience. Experience is meaningless unless it motivates us to become something noble, moral, to grow up and learn how to love. It's fascinating when you think about how many different worldviews there are, as many as there are people these days. But basically in the Western world there were only two, the Greek worldview and the Hebrew, Judaic worldview. The Greek worldview was about learning and knowledge, gnosis. Since the great Greek philosophers, that has grounded the Greek yearning, to know, to learn. And so being for the Greek is about having that knowledge, that sense of what we turn into belief. The Hebrew worldview, on the other hand, is about doing. It is about following the law and the ritual, the word, the will of God doing the Mishnahs, acts of kindness, knowing for the Greek and doing for the Hebrew, believing for the Greek and behaving for the Hebrew. Taken to its extreme end, the knowing becomes that which must be declared. I believe in dot, 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 dot. I believe in the doctrine of... I believe in the dogma. I believe in every jot and tittle of the particular denomination or faith in which I attend. Taken to its extreme, the Hebrew way of doing is, I am a moralist person who says that you must do everything according to the book. Believing. Behaving. But what this passage before us represents is the third option. And after all, it is the trinity, there must be a third option. For everything now we understand is about the law of three. Instead of our dualistic way of thinking, either or, black or white, good or bad, Republican, Democrat, instead of that, maybe there's a third way, a new way that stands between the other dualistic ways and brings to us a much broader and larger Perspective. And the third way I propose is built into this, chari- this, this passage and in the very character of the one who spoke it, Jesus Christ. You know, it's a shame that we have abused and misused this passage over time. that we have turned it into go out into the world and colonize all nations. Go out into the world and convert all people who don't believe like we do. Go into the world and turn the Native Americans into Christians because that's who we are at whatever cost. That we have taken these words from Jesus, go into the World and make nations of uh, baptizing them in the name of God the Father go out into every nation. We've turned that into a, a matter of power. When I think it was in fact in the heart of Christ the exact opposite of that. And if you look carefully at the text, it makes that clear. What the New RSV translates as "make" is actually in Greek the word disciple. Disciple all nations. And the literal meaning of that is teach. It means to you and to tell the good news, to teach all nations that they belong. Which we really don't understand how radical this is. Because in Jesus' day, there was only one nation that belonged, and that were the Jews. They were the chosen people. They had misunderstood their calling as the chosen people to be the light into the world and the blessing to all nations, and became more and more insular, believing that they were the one chosen people set apart. And Jesus comes along, and everything he does is to help them understand that no, in fact, All nations are chosen by God. All nations are part of God's kingdom. Every single nation is included. Every ethnic group, every political group, every sexual group, every group you can imagine and every tribe and every clan, all completely embraced by this God, this kingdom of God, God, who understands all of creation All of creation as belonging. And what's sad to me is the hyper evangelists who keep pounding and pounding this. If you don't believe, like I say, you will not be accepted into God's kingdom, have only turned millions of people away from the church. I can't tell you how many young people I know who no longer go to the church. Because what they see from the outside is that hyper-evangelical presence. You must believe like us, or you must behave like us. And what Jesus is saying is, no. Primarily, it's about belonging. Every nation is now included in the kingdom of God and God's love. That's the message. And through the life and through the death and through the resurrection of Christ, that message has been made real to us. That's the good news. It's why Jesus went to the lost and the least and the last. It's why Jesus told parables about seeking the lost sheep or the prodigal son. It's why everything Jesus did was to expand the horizon about who's in versus who's out. All nations, he said. I co-officiated a Jewish-Christian wedding in Sarasota in April, and it was a wonderful and beautiful sacred ceremony. The the rabbi and I were completely in sync. The groom, who was Christian, the bride, who was Jewish, completely in sync, The parents were in sync. It was a wonderful opportunity for us to co officiate and bless their marriage. And afterward, several people came up and they were loving, but they were curious. They were pretty conservative, I think, on the theological scale. And so they just wanted to know how could I do this? How could I, as a Christian pastor, bless a mixed marriage? Christian, and Jew. And I want to say that they weren't critical about that. They were literally curious, and, and they were open and loving. And it led to some wonderful conversation as we sat out sharing our hors d'oeuvres. But I want us to get how radical this notion is when Jesus again stands up before the disciples and says to them, "...go out into the world and baptize all nations." And as far as baptism goes, it is the most open initiation rite that exists anywhere in humanity. All you need is water, which is the most abundant resource. Like the Ethiopian eunuch riding in the wagon with Philip, the eunuch says, I want a part of this. I had no idea I could belong to and Philip says, well, step down and I'll baptize you out of the water from this rain pool left over. Anywhere, anytime, there's just this open invitation to be baptized in the love and grace of God. That open. I have a theory, in fact, that every child is baptized when their mother's water breaks. They just need to be told that. That they are in this process included in God's kingdom and are all children of God. They just need to be told. They just need to be given the good news that they are part of God's kingdom. And that when they are named, they're just infants. They hadn't done anything to deserve this. They hadn't believed anything to deserve it. They haven't behaved correctly. They behave like a baby. Yet, they belong. It is their christening. As far as we're concerned, it's our job to proclaim this good news to the least and the last, and to those who most need to hear it, who all feel like they are excluded on the outside. We need to share this good news with them. You belong. Everything in God's creation belongs. Jesus bet his life on it. Amen.